Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wabarakatuh Muslim Masjid presents Tea with Mufti Sharing beautiful reflections through the lens of Islam I'm Ustaz Abdul Matin And I'm here with our Mufti of Singapore Sahib Samaha Dr. Nazruddin Muhammad Nasir Assalamualaikum Mufti Waalaikumsalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh You know Mufti, when we first launched uh, the podcast Alhamdulillah we received a lot of good feedbacks So one of the many feedbacks or DMs that we received, they mentioned, you know, why not change the name to Mufti, as in the spelling T-E-A-T at the back. So that, you know, <laughs> I mean, the people like really like puns. Lah. But speaking about that, Mufti, um, what does the word Mufti actually mean? Uh, that's an interesting uh, question because there is a literal meaning to it, which I think many of our listeners may already be aware of. Uh, mufti essentially means someone who responds to a religious question based on evidence uh, in the text of the religion. Uh, for example, whether it's the Quran, the teachings of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, also the opinions of scholars of the fuqaha. Uh, essentially, he is trying to um, provide guidance. You know, Muslims may face some situations in life. Uh, they require guidance as to what does Islam say about this? Can I do this? Can I not do this? How do I overcome this problem from a religious angle? So they need that kind of religious guidance. So the job of the mufti, in a very literal sense, is to provide the answer, to explain. Because the root word of uh, fatwa itself is fataya, which is to explain. And there are many scholars who talk about what fatwa is and one of the uh, definitions of it, according to one of the medieval scholars, uh, Ibn Hamdan, Al-Ikhbar bi-hukmin shara'i Al-Ikhbar bi-hukmin lahi ta'ala an dalilin shara'i Al-Ikhbar bi-hukmin lahi ta'ala an dalilin shara'i So, to inform the questioner of God's law Al-Ikhbar bi-hukmin lahi ta'ala Using the legal Islamic evidence or the jurisprudential evidence Dalilin shara'i Evidence that is based on the readings of the scripture And juristic teachings in Islam So the Mufti essentially needs to provide that guidance. Today we, of course, look at the Mufti you know, in a slightly different way because uh, in Singapore, for example, you know, the idea of the Mufti is not an idea of an individual, just one person, mm. right? Because the Mufti in Singapore chairs the Fatwa Committee. Um, so it's uh, what we call Fatwa Jama'i. So it's a collective Fatwa. You know, in uh, early Islam, the earliest uh, point when you read the Quran There is the word fatwa, and, and the first mufti in that literal sense is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَيَسْتَفْتُونَكَ فِي النِّسَاءِ قُلِ اللَّهُ يُفْتِيكُمْ فِيهِنْ Right? So the companions of the Prophet went to him and asked him about the laws concerning women. وَيَسْتَفْتُونَكَ فِي النِّسَاءِ And then Allah responds, قُلِ اللَّهُ يُفْتِيكُمْ فِيهِنْ Say to them that Allah will answer them on these questions. And then you have uh, the Prophet ﷺ himself who would explain the laws of Islam, provide guidance to the companions. And then after the Prophet, you had among the companions a Sahaba, many of them who were jurists, who were qualified to answer questions. Among the Tabi'een, a lot of very, very famous and renowned jurists, you know, Imam Al-Hasan Al-Basri and Imam Malik and so on, the Tabi'een, and after that you have all the big Imams. So they were what we call Mujtahidun, Because they were, you know, they had the qualifications to understand the text and derive rulings from the text. And in many cases, they respond to questions that people ask. 
uh, Imam Abu Hanifa and so on. So over time, this became collected as a body or science of responding to questions related to hukum. Now in Singapore, we we know that many of the issues that we face are, you know, some are quite you know, straightforward, some are very interesting questions people ask, <laughs> but some are very complex questions. So we, we don't take an approach where the mufti as an official position needs to answer every question because we have a lot of religious teachers, you know, like yourself and, and many other asatiza. You are free to answer, you know, questions from members of public and Muslims on Islam. But there are certain questions which affect a larger group, our community, questions at the national level, and also some very, very complex questions uh, related to policy and so on. How do you deal with these questions? This is where the fatwa committee plays its role and the fatwa committee is chaired by the mufti. So today, for example, we don't just look at the issue and confine it within the committee, but we also consult a lot of experts, a lot of asatiza, because we must recognize that issues can become very multifaceted, very complex. A lot of our problems today, for example, has a lot of other dimensions to it, you know, social dimensions, mm. historical scientific, even political in, in some cases. So you need to get the right perspectives and then gather all this and then discuss it from a religious viewpoint. What is the right guidance? And this is where the idea or the concept of ishtihad comes in, right? Ishtihad, uh, in a literal sense, means, you know, badlul wus'i or badlul juhud. That means you exhaust all effort. your energies and yeah. effort. You don't have to exhaust your energies if the question is very straightforward. Right? If you give a math question, a very simple arithmetic question, two plus two, you know, our kids can you know, immediately say four and respond. Those are not the kind of issues where you require ishtihad. And of course, you have to think about them to get the right answer. But ishtihad here means that you have to spend so much energy in terms of A, understanding what the problem is, and second is to how to address that problem, and third, what are the sources that you can use to address that problem. And that is why Imam An-Nawawi, rahimullah, uh, for example, talked about the position of the mufti. And here we're talking about, you know, the mufti as whether it's an individual or as a collective group that respond to difficult questions. That kind of mufti uh, role is, is extremely important in Islam, not only because after the Prophet ﷺ, this is the group of people who will explain what the religion is in terms of, you know, issues and challenges. How do you respond as a Muslim? But also because in doing so, they expose themselves to the great risk of even committing an error. Because you don't know whether your guidance or your position is right or wrong in the eyes of Allah. But what matters then is you have tried your very best. And that is why the Prophet said, right? If you have exhausted all energies, thinking about a problem, you get it right. Your guidance, your solution is the right solution. You get two rewards. When you akhtar, but if you make an error or make a mistake, you get one reward. Which is to say that you might actually make a mistake in your decisions. But because you have tried, and that's the best that we can as human beings, because we have our own limitations and weaknesses, yeah. then it's fine if you made a mistake. The process is important. The process of understanding the issues, what we call you know, diagnosing the problem. So you know, like a doctor, if you don't diagnose it right, whatever prescription you give might not solve the medical problem in the same manner that you deal with social religious issues you need to really understand it by way of consulting the right people analyzing the issue from multiple angles and perspectives 
So get the problem right and then see how best to overcome it. So that is the uh, role of the Mufti. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, you know, when talk about the role of the Mufti, giving out religious rulings uh, for the community, we tend to see recurring changes in fatwas depending on the different contexts, place and time. So does this also mean that there's also changes in God's ruling? That has always been a point of confusion for a lot of Muslims. The idea that religion has to be stable and religion is fixed. You don't change God's laws. Yes, God's laws in its ultimate form and shape and sense do not change, right? But what changes is the human condition. The society changes, our situation changes. And when we begin to experience change, then how do you ensure that the teachings of the religion and God's laws continue to achieve what it seeks out to achieve? Because behind every law that is taught in the religion, there are very clear objectives, what we call the developed later on as the maqasid, or the objectives, high objectives of the sharia, high objectives of the law. So a responsible mufti or a leader needs to make that assessment, whether things need to change because when societies have evolved and changed, and if you just continue to hold on you know, to certain very fixed rulings, uh, in particular those which came up or arose from the ishtihad or the, you know, the kind of uh, opinions of scholars and jurists, and you say, no, no, this is sacred, this is fixed, and they do not change in form, as opposed to the, you know, the very clear principles and the basic teachings in the Quran and in the teachings of the Prophet that's different. So what we call the immutable and the uh, changing ones, right? So there are immutable teachings which do not change, the Quran and the Hadith and some very clear teachings. For example, the exhortation to prayer, you know, the obligation of prayer, of fasting, of paying zakat. These are the pillars of our religion. But even so, if when you go to the specifics of each one of them, you will find that there are aspects that can change. And this have even been taught by the Prophet ﷺ himself. I remember a very important incident when, you know, the some of the companions of Sahaba went for a battle. So one of them was injured. He had a head injury to his head. And it was around winter time, I think. So what happened was he then had a wet dream. And in, in fiqh, in, in Islamic jurisprudence, if you have a wet dream, you have to have a complete wosul. Uh, you know, complete bath to cleanse yourself spiritually and before you could pray, right? So when yeah. he got up in the morning and he said, "This the water is very cold, I have a head injury, so I'm not sure if I can actually take a bath. And he asked the companions, he said, you know, is there any concession? Can I actually perform the tayammum? You know, the lighter version of using earth to replace the ghusl because he has a head wound. So they all said, no, no, we don't find any concession for you because you can still use water. So he, you know, he was told that as an answer and he, he took the bath and... From other companions at the point. Yes, uh, who were with him. Okay. And he succumbed to his injuries and he died. So they came back to the Prophet after the trip and they told the Prophet what happened, relate to him, you know, the incident. And he said, They killed him. And may Allah kill them. It's sort of to say that the gravity of the mistake. You know, he and the Prophet said, Inna shifa al asu'al, the cure for ignorance. Here, ignorance does not mean that you just don't know anything about religion, but ignorance in terms of this is a very unique situation where someone is facing a very difficult situation where the normal teaching 
is to just have a bath. And maybe other parts of his body is fine with water, right? But his injury on his head, that would have worsened the injury. So the Prophet said he was enough for him just to perform the tayammum, not, not to bath. And that ended in you know the death of a companion. So that's a very, I thought, uh, important example in terms of how the law at that particular point changed. And this, this was taught by the Prophet ﷺ because of the situation of the companion. And there are many, many other examples where laws have been changed, not because of frivolous reasons. That means it's just because you don't like the law, you, you know, you feel like, I don't feel like doing it. Let me propose something. Like, for example, now we have Friday prayers and the problem is, you know, uh, our inability to find space to perform Friday prayers. It's not because we feel like, ah, it's Friday prayers is fine, you know, if they can't do it, it's all right. No, that has never been, should never be and cannot be our reason. But it's a real situation of, you know, a pandemic with its uh, consequences and risks. And we have to protect people and social or safe distancing is important. So now how do you find a solution to that? So all these adjustments are important as part of responding to new environments and new situations. At all times, it is about fulfilling the objectives. Uh, the objectives. It's, it's quite a, you know, it's, it's a very complex discussion because some people think religion like many other things and people like this, you know, black and white binary, like, you know, can I, yeah. can I? And once you say you can't, don't change your mind. No, religion doesn't work like that as well, right? There are some parts which are like that, but others which are not. And that's why you need the muftis. That's why you need the scholars. You need the jurists. It's a principle in Islamic jurisprudence. Laws can change when uh, times have changed, yeah. when you're in different places, right? Fasting in the winter months, uh, in summer months, or in summer months, in some parts of the world, it's almost 22 hours, 20 hours of fasting. So scholars have given different opinions. Do we say then that you know, fasting means from sunrise to sunset? What if you don't have a sunset, right? Um, does that mean you don't fast? So changes need to be made. Some people say, oh, these are extreme situations. It's fine. It's, that's, not, that's not the principle in Islam. The principle is when things are no longer the same, then you really need to find the right solutions. And God wants this. So, for example, you know, there are so many principles in, in the Quran. The same, I like to quote this example of fasting because the very same verse which talks about the obligation of fasting, you know, fasting has been made obligatory. And then Allah says, do that for a, a number of days, which mm. is the month of Ramadan. What does it say next? Immediately Allah provides a solution for a group of people who may not be able to fast. Either you are sick, unwell, yes, sick, you are traveling. Mm. And these are circumstances where usually, you know, it's fine, fasting might be challenging. Yeah. So you repeat the fast or make up for the days that you have missed in other months, you know, outside of Ramadan. Immediately there is a solution. So what the Quran does is to set sort of a template, a model, a way, an approach in thinking and following the teachings of the religion. And it's our duty now to follow that template, not frivolously, not for fun. That is, you know, the, the worst thing that can happen. And that is why the collective form of discussion is very important so that you, you ensure that difficult issues don't rest in the power of one person. 
So it's about in everyone having check and balance, discuss different viewpoints, and eventually you arrive at a consensus. We have a situation for our community. How do we solve this? How do we find the right solution? Well, so there are you know fundamental rulings that, that cannot be changed, and there are rulings that should be changed in accordance to to the context of or the situation of that time. I really like the, the hadith that you mentioned, especially when the Prophet said, "In namashifa'ul ay aswal," which is you know the cure for problem or ignorance is is to ask a question, and that really brings. Um, I mean, since we're talking about role for mufti, I mean it's important that us as a community to also ask questions and also to to learn from the ahl or the the one who has the profession to to give the the answer. Tea with Mufti is brought to you by Muslim SG, a one-stop online media platform that aims to inspire and empower Singapore Muslims with bespoke Islamic religious content. Follow us on social media. Last Mufti, in spite of the many information that we may find on the internet, you know, talking about our current world today, we can find a lot of fatwas even in the internet. So how can we actually learn fatwas in the internet or maybe can we even offer a fatwa from the internet? Uh, that's that's the world we live in now. One could make the argument, the best mufti now is mufti Google, right? Most of us use Google and I use Google a lot. And if you type in any question that you would have asked otherwise to a mufti or any teacher or scholar, Google will direct you. Google will not actually answer you, but Google will direct you to many different answers. It's both a blessing and a curse. A blessing because... It's a very quick way to sort of, you know, at least get a response. We all know how sometimes, you know, our scholars or the mufti and others are very slow maybe in responding or, mm. you know, very hesitant, very shy, very afraid, you know, to say a lot of things. Google doesn't have all those attributes. Google is about, I need to respond. You ask me, I will answer you. You like the answer or not? That's not my problem. <laughs> I'll give you the whole list of answers. So in that sense, you, you get to hear, you know, can I not do this? The curse, though, is you don't know who's saying it and you don't know the credibility of the person behind what's being said or what's being shown. I teach some causes and I tell students that be careful if you... I mean, you have to exercise extreme caution every time you want to cite the internet as an evidence or as a reference. And partly because you don't know who's behind the website. Right? So, for example, you ask a question on Islam and you get an answer about, you know, well, these are the principles of Islam, assuming you are not familiar with the principles and you just want to find out. And you find a wonderful website explaining the principles. But that website may be a propaganda website, right? Mm. Whether it's radical groups, whether it's a misleading group, whether it's, you know, uh, you know fake uh, misinformation and so on. It could be all sorts of things. The presentation could could really captivate you. It's so mesmerizing, beautifully done, you know, citing Quranic verses and so on. So you, th you think that it's credible. Yeah, so it may very well not be credible because of, like I said, you know, those other reasons. And it could be credible as well. So what's the way out then? You know, how do you deal with the internet in terms of information? And this is where it's always important, uh, A, to cross-reference. If you want to do it on the internet, just on the internet, then you have to cross-reference. If there are 10 uh, you know, good websites, right? mm. just compare notes between the 10. At least you know that everyone is speaking the same language, that most probably the probability of the information being wrong is less. But nothing replaces having a teacher or someone to consult. And that's, that's very important. And the other curse, the other danger is, and this is even a bigger danger, is 
a lot of the questions may not, although from a purely theological or juristic viewpoint, it can be sound in terms of if you remove the context. But if you bring in the context, so you have a problem, say, in Singapore, or you have a problem in your family or community or your personal life, right? You ask a question and someone says, do this, do this, or it's like this, it's like that. But it may not be your situation. And you cannot tell the difference. That person that provides a website, that provides the answer, or if you ask someone, they may not be familiar and they might actually give you a response that does not fit in with your situation. Exactly the same problem with the hadith just now. So the companions knew. If you have a wet dream or you know you have to have a compulsory ghusl or shower, that's what they say, right? Sorry, you have to do this. But the Prophet said, you know, that, man who died had a head injury that should not be in contact with water that would have killed him. So in the same way that if you ask a question and you think, well, you know, Sheikh so-and-so, the biggest names, imagine the biggest names answering, you say, well, it has to be credible. But you know, the scholars who are very responsible will say, do you not have a scholar in your country? Do you not have a scholar in your neighborhood or your town? He or she may know your situation a lot better than I do. So ask that person, don't ask me. Because I don't know how you live. I don't know what are your struggles on a daily basis. I don't know what goes through your mind because of your living context. Uh, it's the same way with medical problems, with mental health issues, with personal challenges, financial problems. You know, people, when they give a general sort of response or guidance, right, uh, which you can find on the internet, there's always a qualification or there's always a disclaimer, disclaimer or a caveat to say that well, this is just general, please consult your so-and-so, you know, for your situation, because I cannot advise you uh, completely. I can just tell you roughly this is like that. Why is religion different, right? So that's, that's the danger, because we think it's okay to just read, accept, and apply. And that is absolutely not the case. So today's world is a lot tougher because we have easy access, a lot of easy access. But I would say that without understanding sort of the signs of it, the signs, uh, you know, the, yes, the scientific sort of process of how laws are derived, you can really be misguided by just listening and thinking that is the way out, that is the solution. So it's always good to check. It's always good to consult someone locally. Uh, we have our local Asatiza. You know, by all means, find the right person to just check, get two or three views. Now, there is a very important hadith, if I may, to, to sort of to end my uh, explanation here is the Prophet ﷺ said something about even if people have provided a response, you might not feel comfortable with the response. Right? So if you feel that, okay, I've asked this question and someone has given me the response and this person is a credible person. So it's not this, you know, the sort of the random answers from the internet, but someone credible and said, okay, you know, in your situation, it's like this. But at the end of the day, the Prophet ﷺ said, you know your situation best. Nobody else does. And maybe you didn't reveal the whole thing because, you know, sometimes it's about shame, it's about privacy yeah. and so on. You don't reveal everything. And then you feel like, okay, I've gotten that response, but I don't feel right in my case to follow it. So the Prophet said that at the end of the day, you have to decide. It's a personal responsibility to decide whether that is the right thing or not. So whatever fatwa, whatever guidance, whatever answer that you get is just a sort of a general guidance, even if it's personalized to you, right? So at the end of the day, we must be very responsible 
and accountable for the decisions we make. So in this sense, the prophet is trying to tell us, don't, don't ask for an answer and you do it and then you blame that mufti or blame that scholar, you know, oh no, he or she said I could do it. When you knew that if you had followed in your very personal situation and context and condition, it might result in some kind of uh, problem or harm. So that individual uh, responsibility is also very, very important. To be consciously aware of our own decisions exactly. for that matter. So there you have it, the meaning of mufti itself. And uh, we're really grateful that we have mufti and all the fatwa council to, to help us, to provide us with a lot of the religious inquiries or answers to our religious inquiries. And thank you, mufti. i just like to end with the hadith mentioned before, provided by the Prophet ﷺ himself. Which basically means, indeed or verily, uh, the cure for ignorance is to ask questions. Thank you so much, Mufti. We'll see you again next episode. That's it for this week's episode of Tea with Mufti. Do follow, share, and stay tuned for more episodes on our podcast channel. Assalamu alaikum and thank you for listening.